welcome to Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman. You can call me H. And I'm Ryan Quintel. You can call me Q. This week I've been playing a lot of really creative games, games that I feel like we can, uh, as a podcast, learn a lot from. Oh. Uh, I played through probably most of, or maybe about halfway through It Takes Two at this point. Oh yes, I haven't even bought it yet. Yeah, it's a great co-op game. Super, super creative with a lot of like references to other games that it has inspired. If you want to play it through, like only one person of the two that it takes titularly needs to actually own the game. The other one can download like a free, free version like that client. you can just join in as a player too. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's an even cheaper way. So if you know anyone that has it, then uh, easy way to avoid the purchase. But I mean, it's worth every penny from what i've played so far it's really um really creative it's local co-op too as well yeah yep local and uh and online i guess you couldn't use the player two client if you're playing locally though <laughs> fair enough um i've also played through before your eyes which is a game that is partially controlled by blinking your actual eyes in real life I heard about this. Yeah. How did, does that work? Yeah. It, I mean, for me anyways, I've heard some kind of mixed things from people online, but for me and my webcam, it worked really, really well. It kind of scoots away from its, from its core conceit, mechanical conceit anyways, as the game goes farther and farther in, you know, the, the scenes become more kind of story irrelevant and it doesn't want you missing. I guess I shouldn't really spoil how the mechanics play into it, but the importance of the blink becomes lesser and lesser the farther into the game you get kind of unfortunately but i don't really know how else they would have accomplished their goal maybe we can do like a spoiler cast on it once we've uh once a little bit of time has gone by i want people to go into it fresh i love that and we can do it uh between episodes of our new podcast the importance of the blink <laughs> that's right that's, a, uh, <laughs> it's a good title for something it's about time that the blink has been translated into the audio medium <laughs> We're getting high-powered microphones and we're hooking them up to our temples to capture that lid-flapping action people have been waiting to hear. I think more than anything, the game that has surprised me the most with how much I've been surprised by and have enjoyed it is on one of those old Namco Museum archive collections. I played through quite a bit of Dig Dug 2, the sequel to the classic arcade game, and uh, it's super weird if you haven't played it before we all know the original dig dug it's kind of this side-on perspective as you're drilling down into the ground to try to kind of create tunnels to i guess like get to enemies that you can shoot like a hook also dig to dig what (laughs) you're okay i mean you're you're destroying with your equipment and so yeah you you basically shoot this kind of like this kind of arrow into them that you can use to inflate like a bike pump and it'll cause the enemies to inflate and eventually explode and uh it has this very strange thing where the last enemy on the map knows that they're in big trouble and so they try to flee and escape and you get extra points if you like hunt them down before they can make it to the edge of the screen and uh, if you kill them which just feels particularly sadistic dig dug 2 takes like just the just kind of the edges of the concept and rebuilds an entirely new game on top of it like it's a top-down game kind of like a legend of zelda where you're on a like a continent floating in the middle of the ocean you can go and like shoot at enemies and inflate them to try to pop them. But you know, that 
just like the original Doug Doug, like that, the risk reward there is that it locks you into place for as long as it takes to inflate the enemies and other enemies can come and attack you at that point. And so, you know, it leaves you in a very vulnerable position. And so what you can do in Dig Dug 2, there's like, uh, I don't know how to say it. There's like holes scattered pretty evenly and like a grid-like structure across the island. And you can stop at any of those holes and use a drill to, I guess, like create fissures in any four of the cardinal directions from any hole on the island. And then if you section off uh, a kind of jazz ball style, a portion of the continent, then that portion of the continent will like fall into the ocean. Wow. And so you can create these massive landslides and trap enemies. Uh, you can also you just use individual unconnected fissures to create like barriers of passage for enemy routes. So if you have like, you know, five guys chasing you, then you can create a fissure and they'll have to, you know, go around that fissure. You can get to create a little maze for them at that point. And, you know, the dragons can breathe their fire across the fissures, but the the little red guys with the goggles can't cross them. So, it, you know, it's all about kind of like, weirdly enough, it's all about kind of crowd control and almost plays like a zombie game in a way. Like you have to to separate the enemies from the rest of the pack so that you can attack them efficiently it's a it's a really interesting game and it's i think it's a little bit too fast paced to make the most use of its like most complicated and most expressive systems but it's uh it's really interesting and i was like at first i really hated it because i'm like this isn't dig dug like i've been playing dig dug since i was a little kid and this is not it (laughs) but eventually i got really into it and now i might even kind of prefer it to the original so I like when old arcade games used to like take huge swings with their sequels that just were nothing like the original. <laughs> yeah, it's like before capitalism ruined everyone's brain into being like, listen, the sequel <laughs> is going to be the original, but with two more features and call it a day. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't always work. Pac-Land came on one of those uh, Atari or sorry, Namco Museum collections as well. And uh, it sucks big time. Not only is it the worst Smash Bros stage, but it is also <laughs> the worst Pac-Man game. I remember getting Pac-Land and being like, this is a, okay. I, I like Pac-Man. I don't know if I like him enough for him to hold this together. In the Namco Museum collection, weirdly enough, chose to port over the NES ports instead of the original arcade games, which is kind of a, oh wow, not a great, I, I don't know, whatever, but the games are still really good. The ports are all really good. They're not the types of games that lose a lot when being ported to NES. It's just, you know, you look at videos of the original arcade games and they look so much sharper and cleaner and more detail. Uh, but uh, for some reason, when they ported Pac-Land to console, they chose for A and B to be the movement controls and for up on the D-pad to be jump. And it's just, I'm going to die needlessly confusing (laughs) and terrible. Like why, why would you do that? (laughs) Surely there's a circuit board switch or something, right? Yeah. Almost like a bug that they, that maybe they thought was charming or gave it a personality (laughs) or something. Yeah. Anyways. Well, that's my, uh, my complaining about old video games. I'm sure we'll be seeing those angry video game nerd numbers in no time at all at this point. <laughs> I've been playing some much more boring stuff. I've been playing Outriders that is a f- 
Uh, I mean, a lot of people have said a lot of things about it at this point. Outriders, much more boring than Packland. The reviews are in. (laughs) That's right. That's the box quote. (laughs) But man, I, you know, Outriders is pretty good. If you were looking for something on Game Pass to kind of tide you over or whatever, Mm -hmm. I think uh, Outriders gets it done. It's, uh, you know, Diablo meets Gears meets not really Destiny, which is, uh, was kind of refreshing. Nice. Yeah. I, uh, I have a, I have managed to order an Xbox Series X, which should be arriving tomorrow. So I may spend some more time with some of those console only games that have launched on Game Pass. I mean, mostly I've been kind of ignoring the console stuff in favor of the PC stuff just because it's so much more convenient. But uh, with the Series X on its way, I uh, might just have to dip into that one. It's always really weird to me when something is on console only Game Pass when it clearly exists in basically the identical form on both console and uh, PC. But yeah. um, I imagine it's contractual and who knows? I I, I wouldn't want to see one of those contracts or read them. I bet they're a little hairy. Uh, yeah, there are reasons for it, but I will not go into it here. <laughs> All right, let's get to some video game pitches. Let's pitch something entirely brand new. I'll go first today with a zombie or werewolf game in which you have to protect a small group of people uh, throughout your entire adventure. You know, this is your kind of team that you travel with, you know, not necessarily a team of combatants. It's more like you are kind of the lone playable character and you have to kind of escort this, this group of people throughout your adventure, you know, kind of walking dead style. They can turn into zombies or werewolves or whatever the enemy ends up being, uh, but it's not kind of predetermined via story moments it's all um it can happen at any time whenever you know a zombie or werewolf gets through your defenses and so it's kind of a permanent consequence to letting your guard down or letting you know letting somebody breach your defenses and uh when they're gone you know they are a monster permanently until you you know hunt them down and kill them so ideally it's kind of like a dead dead rising thing where at the end of the game you want to rescue as many people as possible but like there is no expectation that you'll be able to do that so yeah it's kind of a game long challenge run in a way so i'm going to start the clock there so we're doing the once a party person becomes a zombie or a werewolf that's it because i'm wondering like so many, so much zombie fiction kind of deals with this. And I think that there's, I don't know if there's some version of this in State of Decay. You know, State of Decay does have kind of people joining your camp and the the concept of, hey, once this person's gone, they're gone. But I, one of the things that I, maybe it's just part and parcel with the genre, but I would love to see something like, do humans in no version of zombie fiction ever get, we can unzombie somebody? That would be so nice. You know, I'm sure that they're are and I'm, i think there's even kind of examples off the maybe did paranorman do some reverse zombie i know that there oh, was some know, yeah. where they are looking for a zombie cure or whatever but i'm not sure how often that is successful versus just kind of a futile macguffin in many of these zombie zombie right. media it's the, it's the promise that never gets fulfilled the reason yeah. why i ask about it is i do or oh you know what maybe we do a little day of the dead type of twist and if you can find your pal turned zombie you can kind of capture them chain them up and teach them to do some of their old basic tasks again to keep your your team going i think we talked about this a little while 
like a couple of weeks back, right? Like a like a farm with zombie slaves, or I guess that was a robotic. Uh, but I think we did talk about some sort of a management zombie management kind of. There was mindless... when we did zombie farming at one point for sure, okay, like yeah, using yeah. the zombies to do <laughs> menial tasks. I so I maybe I need to go um, back to the, kind of the beginning of this, but you're imagining like this is a uh, an RPG like uh group of folks this is a, a ragtag gang that slowly becomes zombies in this over the course of the story or is this more generative no essentially it's kind of a you have a group of people you know your your town townsfolk and it's up to you to keep them safe either you're migrating somewhere or maybe you just have to kind of hold down the town for a certain amount of time but the kind of ever-present threat of werewolves or zombies or whatever are out there and as soon as they get to one of your people, then, you know, that's, that's it for them. And you have fewer people. And so there are, there is kind of a story that goes on. There's voice acting, there's characters, but it has to account for any combination of the characters being gone from the story. And, you know, you really, you want to protect everyone because you want to see how the story goes. I mean, hopefully, yeah. but uh, there's no guarantee that anyone survives along the way. It's because this stuff usually happens in these state of decay like systems games. You don't get the naughty dog impactful moment of a character screaming at you like Jeff is dead, man. Like you <laughs> you didn't do a thing to stop it. And for that to have any real weight and impact, right? Because it's either scripted and you maybe didn't have a choice about uh, the character or because it's so systems driven that you would never be able to dial up the story to an emotional point over you know just a something a, a result of the system so i do like you know i, I guess old like that original walking dead telltale series even though it was mm -hmm. scripted kind of got there right because it was like okay well here's two possible outcomes but i like designing this village with like a you almost have to design the character's story in a <laughs> like a uh, hierarchical or, or interconnected, like, okay, if person X dies, their responsibilities, uh, or their, their function in the story, maybe their, their, their end game is gone, but the function of what they do or what progresses the plot has to be assigned to now one of these three characters or something, or, you know, maybe you only pick two each time to try and limit the, you know, cascade of, of all the things that could happen. Yeah. And, you know, now that I think about it more, I haven't been paying any attention to the Resident Evil Village, you know, whatever that game is going to end up being. And I really hope that's not exactly what I'm pitching. I mean, maybe I hope it is because How obviously cool I think be? it's a cool enough idea for for it to be a playwright pitch. But yeah, I think the Resident Evil is probably just like, oh, it's a creepy village. <laughs> Look at this be. scary tall lady. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think, yeah, gosh, even vampires would really work well here because I want this, uh, this feeling of kind of trust and codependency to be the motivating factor to keep those people safe and alive because, you know, I want you to really feel it when somebody is taken from the group and, you know, the most violent ways. And I mean, if, if it is, you know, werewolves and zombies, I guess zombies are kind of the least interesting. They turn into somebody who is very obviously corrupted. Werewolves are kind of that next level where it's like during the day, you can't tell, but you know, during the night when people let their guard down, there are sudden disappearances and maybe mm. you have to kind of sort out who is and isn't a werewolf. Vampire is kind of the highest order of that, where it's like, 
There are certain tests you can put them through, but the vampires, uh, their threat comes from their ability to kind of like fold into social situations and not be immediately detectable or even to be at a social advantage so that even when they are detected, you know, people don't don't believe or or don't feel socially able to act on their suspicions. I and and I like the idea of one of the reasons why I enjoy vampire is because you do have in vampire fiction some characters who you know they're like I I I don't want to kill my friends I'm gonna eat rats Mm -hmm. or something and so uh you you get the I don't know it's always rats I guess maybe the time period that vampirism usually I do like the idea of each of the characters in the village maybe having a certain tolerance or or aversion to becoming a creature in a way and then you can start to um, play with the dynamics of well Cheryl's a vampire but she's but she doesn't want to be one so she's kind of an on our side vampire but at any point mm. maybe she you know succumbs to it and turns someone else into a vampire maybe maybe you could end the game with you just having a village of vampires as well which could be kind of interesting yeah i mean yeah it goes back to that um a don't nod game called vampire which involved you know you were a vampire and you can choose to kill and feed on anyone within this rpg village um they played like bloodborne uh you know it was a rpg action game but you can mm. choose to you know kill and feed on characters that existed in this world but they were finite characters and each of them played a role and so you know you, you were using that to kind of build up your own personal power versus the social function that they played in the the town that you lived in but um you know i there's this feeling that uh, there's a feeling of permanence. Any decision that you would make, you'd be kind of weighing the pros and cons of killing the members of your town. So, you know, I, I like that general kind of a general kind of uh, feeling that ethos, but I don't want it to be you who is becoming more powerful. I want it to be more of a, ah, yeah. like avoiding loss, you know? And so maybe, Maybe there's situations where you can even choose to kill somebody early because you noticed, kind of like in a, again, watching through The Sopranos, kind of like in the mob movies and stuff like that. There's characters who are like clearly loose cannons, characters who are clearly like, mm-hmm. this guy's got a few screws loose. And <laughs> yeah, if gotta he be hasn't, trouble. Yeah, yeah. If he hasn't caused trouble already, he's going to in the future. <laughs> You might choose to kind of get them out of the way early on. Right. And they usually show that character. Um, what's what's nice about what you've got here, right, is if we actually do have something that is a stronger story, maybe you can telegraph the people who are going to be problems, right? Like, we, you know, watch if you watch through The Walking Dead, you know, by episode like four, you're like, Shane is going to be a real problem, right? <laughs> <laughs> and now the Shane stuff doesn't come to a head further further down the line but you just kind of know and i do love the idea of you know you it's always fun to be the audience person be like oh shane's gotta go like we're we're three episodes in with the shane rick thing and we know shane's gotta go this is not gonna end well well what if you said to the player you could take care of this problem now uh, you know but there's always the wild card of like maybe this is also one of your key people that's going to stop something awful from happening down the line. Yeah. 
Uh, and I mean, I think landing it with the promise up front that every character can survive if you play well enough. They can yeah. survive all the way to the end. There's nobody who is like absolutely scripted going to betray you. And if you don't kill them, then you're going to, you know, be out of luck. Right. But um, yeah, I think just kind of being very honest and upfront with the the premise. Uh, but we are out of time there. Let's go ahead and close that one down. Let's give it a name. Man, there, I, I wonder if there's a title that is kind of about hope or last hope or something like that. Because I, how about, so if this is a werewolf game, and mm. it also kind of has those like social doubting, you know, traitorous aspects of Among Us. We can call this the Wolf Among Us. <laughs> well, is it, uh, maybe we're illegally in a gray area where the company that could sue us for that <laughs> technically can't anymore or something. <laughs> it don't exist. And we all know that copyrights just are so easy to dissolve when the... Yeah, they just go away. The, it's, the a, least, it's like a mirror. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the public domain just hoovers everything up. <laughs> I, we, could, we could actually try and sidestep with like the wolves among us or something like this. <laughs> Um, I feel like we can get a bit more creative. <laughs> yeah. The reason why I mentioned hope is I love the idea of like, hey, everyone can live and no betrayal can't be dealt with. Like you can mm -hmm. save everyone. It could be something like Hope's Hollow or something like that. I'm, I don't know if that title exists anywhere, but like the name of the town could have hope in it. Hope's Hollow is pretty good because it's got that double meaning to it. It's like, is this a hollow pursuit or is hope real? I like that. And I, I'm not, I'm Googling it. I'm not finding anything that like immediately, you know, obviously it's not the first, we're not the first people who have ever come up with this name, but there's nothing that's like immediately <laughs> right. disqualifying. So I think Hope's Hollow works. Bing, bang, boom. Take that. Cool. Well, let's go to your pitch. What are you bringing us today? <sighs> I told you I was going to make you smirk with this one. And I really hope, what if we bring back a modern, maybe even gritty reboot, Crazy Taxi, and we do it with an uber or a lyft driver <laughs> and and i know there's been some uber and lyft driver games but they're kind of narrative things or they're kind of indie things mm -hmm. let's do let's use the power that we got at our disposal let's densely pack a city with pedestrians and let's actually have you know you get rated on every ride and uh maybe even as you earn money you start to do things like uh upgrade your vehicle with all sorts of fancy lights and scents and phone chargers for people to uh to enjoy while you're trying to shepherd them from a to b i have very like complicated feelings about like uber and lyft in general yeah like i think on one hand nice that people are able to kind of take the taxi experience and make it a real kind of sole entrepreneurial you know, people can just sign up and drive people around the city. Like it's, it's very convenient for the people in the city. There's fewer cars that need to be parked places. Like for city dwellers, it's fairly convenient, but at the same time, it encourages so many bad practices that are just like inefficient uses of city space and just like illegal things that are just like, yeah, eh, what else are they going to do? Like parking at illegal places and using your hazard lights to park like an asshole and stuff like that. Where it's just like, that's just a part of the Uber experience. It's like, but mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be like, you know, I would always prefer 
if an Uber driver dropped me off a block and a half from where I need to be, if there was a legal place for them to stop and be like out of traffic. Right. And, and that's what, one of the things where it's like, if an Uber driver drives, you know, dangerously, or if they stop in a place where they're not supposed to stop, or if they do, if they, they drive in a way that brings inconvenience and inefficiency to the city and the overall system, I'll rate them poorly because I think that they shouldn't be on the road. But <laughs> yeah. I'd imagine if they picked up probably most riders and they drove in a way that I would find acceptable, then those people would rate them poorly. So it really seems like a no-win situation for them. You know, I think either way, they're going to be pissing somebody off. Um, I think that you're on to yeah. something with that. And we should probably make that a mechanic, right? Like, why not have... You get a passenger type. Maybe you have to tell from like their vocal prompts or whatever. You have to profile the person. Maybe you don't want to yeah. encourage that. But you, if you know, if they sound a little gruff, if they're like, if they say something like, "Hey, hurry up," you mm-hmm. know, you you have to go from like some people are just like, "Get me to my destination. Get me there as fast as possible." I don't care if you run every red light, right? Like there, there's no disregard because they're not the one that's going to yeah. suffer the consequences of your poor driving. But then you do have it someone. It seems so disrespectful, though, like to stop at bus stops oh, and yeah. to stop your car in a lane of traffic and force everyone to take the other lane around you. Like, it's just the worst. Like, we can't live like this. It's massive. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, well, listen, I I think there is uh, societally an end game where the expectation is going to be it's just all robots that do this and the robots will get mm-hmm. you, you know. They'll they won't be able to do the illegal thing theoretically, but uh, yeah, that that that's also troubling. I think with all these things of like, hey, you know that the company's end game is like, oh, it'd be great if we didn't have to have anybody driving these cars, uh, and it was just a pod that moved you from A to B. But then all of the advantages of Uber, like you know, recent immigrants having reliable work stream and ways oh, yeah. to make money, like that goes away. And so it's like, yeah. it is just funneling money into the pockets of the wealthy capitalist CEOs, which. Right. You know, well, it yeah. was never not about that. Right. But they could just hide, they could hide that, uh, that intention while it was convenient for them. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I, and I was thinking about like in this pitch or, or, or thinking about this game as like, sometimes you you also like what if you just took crazy taxi and could you add like a conversation layer on top of it where the person's like Mm -hmm. asking you questions and you're trying to like make conversation while you're driving can you imagine like trying to use the the right stick to really quickly pick dialogue options while you're trying to like get the person (laughs) to a destination seems hard yeah i mean that's kind of fun i i've said multiple times that i really miss crazy taxi being a thing. And I would just love it to be, I mean, this is something that like should be in the next Grand Theft Auto. There's no excuse if it's not. I mean, I guess they didn't put it in Grand Theft Auto 5 and Crazy Taxi was a thing well before that. But <laughs> like, I I can't imagine a Grand Theft Auto coming out now and not having a rideshare minigame being accessible <laughs> from the phone at any moment. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I guess it depends. I mean, well, I, and that's also based on if they ever ship another Grand Theft Auto with the way Grand Theft Auto Online goes. Yeah. yeah. So I'm thinking about the conversation stuff. I'm thinking about the 
could you add in that RPG-ish layer? Like, w- since Crazy Taxi now, as much as I enjoyed revisiting it however many months ago, um, I was like, this is a wild game. But it, because it's so dated, like, what are a few mechanics we might layer on top of it to make it, to make someone mm-hmm. who would play, you know, even a, I don't know, even a Rocket League or something, uh, something a little bit stepped up in terms of how many mechanics they're dealing with you know, how would you modernize the, the crazy taxi stuff from there? And the first one was, yes, bigger world, more detailed, a lot more pedestrians, but you know, is it conversations? Is it, you know, upgrades to the vehicle? What, what else could it be? Well, you mentioned you wanted something that felt more grounded. Yeah. You can really just drive through a city square in, in crazy taxi if you want to. I know. And that's part of the fun. Like I kind of, <laughs> I kind of don't want to lose the like jumping off of ramps and you know the the crazy part of crazy taxi if we were to just release sane taxi then i don't know how much of a market there would be for that maybe we stay away from the whole uber angle and what if we did crazy taxi but set in the universe of the fifth element (laughs) that's fun as well i you know the the thing about like flying cars and we saw this in back to the future part two (laughs) oh yeah the fact that like they're still kind of staying in lanes is kind of Seems kind of crazy, but at the same time, I don't know what else I would propose because if it's just complete disorder and cars just flying everywhere that there's room, that seems like there's going to be accidents. You know, it seems like, right. like if I've ever seen the uh, intersections in like Egypt or somewhere like that, like that's kind of what I envision. Right. Just like every car, just every man for himself, you know, just take an opening when you see it. But, uh, but at the same time, like s- lanes also don't quite feel Right. I feel like, have you played Cloudpunk? Came out last year? No, I've heard of it. And I th- I think I might have a copy through something, but oh, I, I haven't played it. Okay. Yeah. I think it, you know, it does kind of, it kind of plays on these angles of, there are lanes, but they're more kind of like general suggestions with a lot of like vertical spaces spread out. And so, you know, as long as you're within this general vicinity, yeah. And you could be going this way. Maybe it's more like a tunnel than a lane. And not like those Elon Musk tunnels that only fit like half a car at a time. <laughs> right, right. No, no, no robot cars. I, yeah, I like that. I, and you see sometimes in fiction, you'll get the like floating rows of lights to just kind of lightly suggest that there's a, a lane. I forget if Fifth Element does that, but I feel like maybe it, it's... It was in Star Wars Episode Two. I feel like there was that sort of flying mm, car yes. city, or or three Episode Three, where there's this flying car city scene. Well, there was a uh, number two where they were hunting down Jango Fett after an attempted assassination on the senator at that point. Oh yes, that's right. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> and and it wasn't Jango Fett. It was that woman who turned into a strange alien. Oh, that's thing. right. Yeah, not Jango Fett. <laughs> You were but, correct uh, about that. Oh my God, that, that Obi-Wan mullet just came back to me. <laughs> Scary. Yeah, so if we're flying around and we got to do the crazy taxi thing, what what what's now interesting, I think, is like adding the layer of where the person needs to be dropped off verticality-wise, right? If they're like, hey, I'm getting off at this building on the 200th floor, you're like, okay, we're go- we're going to find a way to go up, even if the traffic looks dense. That's kind of fun as well. I mean, uh, turning it into like a like a race the sun type of, you know, flying game at that point, um, dodging around cars and taking it at your own pace as well, being able to choose how dangerous or how safely you want to play it. This is making me bummed out that uh, Cyberpunk didn't 
uh, come out in, in maybe the state that it should have or thought about its world yeah. in this way. So if we can go up and down and the crazy taxi, what what do you get rated on in crazy taxi? Like how, is it just time? I think it is just time, but you also lose money mid, or you can lose or gain money mid ride by like crashing or by doing tricks in the air or okay. you know, like jumping off of ramps or, you know, swerving too close to other cars and stuff like that. They'll get excited and they'll throw you some cash. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. We could even get some like uh very light star Fox stuff in there where you can like trick through rings or something. Cause you can't theoretically, there's no jump to go off of. Maybe there's like boost rings or something that you can trick. Yeah. through. That's enough time there. Let's, let's close it down. Let's give it a name. Crazy. Taxi. This could be, I was going to say like caber punk. 2077 but that doesn't quite <laughs> i mean taxi 2077 could or what if you did uh ct 2077 so the way that in the, like 80s and 90s they would they would uh collapse a title down to just initials or something if they were gonna do a sequel t it's not terminator yeah. 2 it's t2 that's fair yeah i like that it kind of gives us this like retro futurism as well <laughs> ct 2077 all right ct 2077 a uh a, an apt follow-up of i've ever heard one <laughs> let's go to our community now we have a community pitch in from our ever reliable ashton herman who says i know you're getting ready to spin down the show from regular release cadence so i just wanted to tell you both again how much i've enjoyed it and how much i'm going to miss the regular shot of creativity into each of my weeks well thank you very much ashton and uh like we've said on the show before we don't even really have a strong memory of the earliest episodes <laughs> you go back any farther than like four or five episodes back and we it might as well be brand new to us and so if you miss the um if you miss the weekly shows we'd encourage you to just kind of start again from the beginning and i'm i'm sure that like 90 percent of them will be completely fresh i kind of wonder i haven't listened to those early episodes in a long time i wonder oh man whether the format or whether our I, I don't know whether our podcasting has gotten any better or worse over time <laughs> whether You're the pretty, ideas i mean i think we've all. gotten better but you are a very consistent editor when i was doing pixels weekly mm. there was there was some weeks where somebody would be like hey ryan just so you know <laughs> the third person is just not in there i don't know what you did with the export. <laughs> well um anyways i I do appreciate the uh, the kind words, and if you ever get nostalgic for the early shows, then they will remain available. We aren't taking anything offline, and if anything, we're going to spend more time making the shows easier to access on more platforms and stuff like that, so it will continue to exist. Uh, but uh, it might be but nice yes. to to separate out each individual pitch even at some point and just have like a database so you can dial in on one. Yeah, oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it could be, except I don't want to have to write descriptions for all of them. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, you won't be alone if we do it. It would be, what, like approaching 600 at that <sighs> point, once we get to our 200th episode next week, actually. Wow. This is 199, so next week we'll have to do something special. Anyways, Ashton goes on to say, I have one more game pitch that I wanted to share with you, a roguelite a rhythm action game. Oh. I haven't really solidified any solid details beyond that. But at the very least, I'm kind of picturing theater rhythm Final Fantasy with a randomized musical tracks and or mixes. What do you think? All right, sounds good. I'll go ahead and start the clock there. 
I mean, I, I naturally think about Crypt of the Necrodancer or the Hyrule mm-hmm. one specifically, because I didn't play the original Crypt. When I think of like a, here's a rhythm-based kind of screen-to-screen game where you're uh, progressing, but it's not quite a roguelite, is it? Kind of is in that i think the original <laughs> crypt of the necrodancer does generate random dungeons i don't remember oh but uh i think it could be played as a roguelite but i would think i think i would be interested to explore things that feel more traditionally rhythm rather than throwing rhythm elements onto oh. just because you know just because crypt of the necrodancer exists i feel like the transition into a roguelite if it isn't one already is a pretty simple transition. Um, I wonder what, like, I think it would be more challenging to put roguelite elements into a traditional rhythm type game. And I'll say I've been playing a ton of like every free moment I get these days. Like I fire up Muse Dash, which is a pretty traditional rhythm game, but it's, uh, I mean, it plays a lot like a um, Taiko no Tetsujin. Is that what it's called? It's kind of a like a two button... Uh, rhythm game, uh, side on kind of side scrolling notes, kind of flying towards the point at which you have to hit either one of the two buttons or both at once, or you know, there's different combinations of things. But uh, pull up a video. But yeah, but Muse Dash is interesting in that it uh, you play as a character and it is ostensibly kind of painted up to look like a platformer course, but it isn't because you're just kind of responding to notes that are flying your way which are stylized as enemies being thrown towards your character who kind of knocks them back in time with the music but um you know you can choose your character and each each of them have to kind of different different buffs and different um different abilities that affect the scoring mechanisms in particular and you can level up throughout the game by completing songs and by doing like special challenges along the way, which allows you to unlock more characters, to unlock Elfies, which are kind of like support units, to unlock um, special like loading screen illustrations and stuff like that. And so, you know, there's a there's a lot to uncover in that game, but it's all like it's uh it it is all like a very traditional rhythm game and so i wonder you know how many interesting steps could we take towards like towards making it more roguelike you know you can set up kind of a um kind of a gauntlet of of songs and maybe like randomize power-ups in between them that like drastically affect the way that the game is played mm-hmm. i've been talking a lot but there's a uh there's a particular character in Muse Dash that I really like that is the one that I use for like 90% of the time. It makes things a little bit easier because every time notes on the same track are close enough together, then you oh, can yeah. hold the button down instead of tapping it multiple times. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so it kind of turns each of those kind of quick runs of notes into like a hold note. Um, and so, you know, that affects the way that you view the course and the way that you play the game. And so things like that, that affect like the rhythm gameplay that can keep things fresh as you're playing them. I I think that's you're you're spot on with that. So the first thing we do, right, is let's give you the, the Hades slash I hear, I hear Returnal actually has some of these vibes, but uh, give you the, Oh man, the set of powers I have on this particular run is uh, making me feel very 
you know, a, it's a powerful combo uh, for dealing with just the rhythm stuff at first, right? So you could do that that tap and hold. You, we could probably design another half dozen of these powers, but I love the idea of even if you took some of the things that were in Guitar Hero or Rock Band, for example, of like, hey, if you hit a particular sequence of notes that are highlighted, you'll get like, you know, bonus points or something like that, or you'll deal bonus damage to the boss or charges up a special attack or something like now you can say, okay, well, that's unlocked in this run and that's unlocked. And I think what we could do for the level, the the quote unquote randomly generated level uh, part, right, is let's have these killer long form music tracks, but the tracks, we take a page from Rock Band and separate out the instruments. So you can go from at any four, 16 bars of the song or whatever, mm-hmm. You're like, okay, well, in this part, it seems like the rhythm pattern of the enemy spawn is the piano part. And then over here, it's the guitar solo. And over here, I'm doing the bass. And you can continuously switch up. And the person has to listen for what instrument the enemies seem to be appearing in time with so that you can kind of like find the rhythm that you're supposed to be seeking out for a particular section. So you can, I think you'd get pretty good. Eventually you'd master all of the rhythm tracks across all of the songs, which is something that I feel like was not super encouraged in the, uh, in the rock band, like for in rock band, I was like, I play, I like to play bass guitar. That's my thing. So Mm -hmm. I just go into songs and I play the bass on them, but you could really like discover, wow, you know, there's actually this, you know, rhythm, keyboard section in this thing that is very very interesting but uh it but i didn't play it until my like third run through in this particular section there's a have you ever played amplitude frequency or rock band blitz no so these are these are very interesting rhythm games Uh, amplitude and frequency were made for the playstation 2 they did a playstation three or four version of it back in 2016 i guess that would have been ps4 at the time but i may probably have played amplitude but i don't think i played frequency yeah um but it's essentially like you are a spaceship on a on a track that um you know with notes rushing towards you like a guitar hero or a rock band track but each track only has two notes so it's either you know one side or the other and then you can switch between like up to four or five tracks you know kind of switch between them and so there were certain checkpoints throughout each song and you wanted to have played enough notes on each of those five each of those five tracks each with two kind of note Mm. note tracks on each uh, to illuminate that section so that each of them can be illuminated before you get to the checkpoint and then that will add to your overall multiplier uh, and so you are kind of constantly keeping your eye on the notes that are coming and switching lanes to go where the action is or maybe to avoid particularly difficult sections and kind of you know maybe you want to avoid a, a particularly hard riff in a guitar solo and switch over to a bass track um, this was i think it kind of hit its stride with rock band blitz which was essentially an amplitude game but uh used your entire rock band library and all the music there within to uh yeah to to populate its tracks really really great game unfortunately not playable in modern systems because 
Rock Band Blitz is not backwards compatible on any of the uh, any of the systems it was released upon. It was an Xbox 360 and PS3 game that they didn't uh, they didn't relicense for Xbox One or Xbox Series. Uh, but uh, yeah, so unfortunately, it's kind of lost to time at this point. But um, but still, I could see something like that working, where you know you have the ability to kind of switch between instruments, and maybe you take the easy uh, the easy lane at any time and survive a dungeon, or maybe you go for the more difficult lane, score more notes, which give you like a currency you can use to purchase or upgrade weapons at at points in between songs as you're kind of working your way through these roguelike dungeons. I wonder if like in the, the way that in dead cells, when you are going through the first level, you can kind of say, Hey, next I want to go to the swamps or I want to go to the docks or something. I forget what the, you know, the name of it is in dead cells, but uh, maybe there's also, I don't know if the, the other amplitude and, um, and blitz did this, that idea of like I'm gonna ch- specifically choose to kind of jump tracks from a particular point in the song to like a different variation of the song. Like, can I jump into a song's remix, you know, halfway through, and the remix is tonally or, or rhythmically far more complicated, and and you're kind of self-selecting into your difficulty level in that way, but also like maybe it's only maybe it's only by going down the remix path that you can unlock certain powers for time to, or, or, or a certain amount of experience to slowly upgrade your set of core abilities. Like I do love the persistent leveling of a, of a rogue legacy or of a dead cells. We're out of time there. Let's go ahead and give it a name. I wonder if there's a, <laughs> uh, we could call it, we can call it Moog like, you know, like M O O G. <laughs> That's pretty good. I was also going to, um, there's, there's a, a term in music called Rondo, uh, and Rondo, I, I believe oh, means yeah. repeat, right? Oh, that's like Rondo encounter. <laughs> yeah. Or I, I even love going full Italian and being like Rondo alla roga or something. Mm-hmm. Rondo encounters. <laughs> it's funny. I think we got a lot of, uh, a lot of good ideas there. Let's go with Rondo encounter. I think that fits pretty well with the general vibe that we're going for. All right. That was from Ashton Herman. And if you would like to submit a pitch to one of our remaining shows, you can do so by going to playwrightcast.com slash pitch, tweet us at playwrightcast or email us playwrightcast at gmail.com. In all of those instances, it is spelled P-L-A-Y-W-R-I-T-E-C-A-S-T. Special thank you to Protodome for the use of our theme song, Hello World, off the album Blue Noise. And while you're listening to things, go check out the other great shows on the Kane and Rinse Podcast Network, like The Sausage Factory, like Sound of Play, and like, oh man, I just can't remember. Oh yeah, Kane and Rinse. That's it. That's the one. To take us out of the show today, let's go on to a redacted game. And I'll be doing my best <sighs> to stump you today. A mysterious package has arrived, and the redacted inside has only one redacted. Redacted. (laughs) Help get the redacted to redacted, the adorable redacted, in this highly innovative and addictive redacted game, combining outstanding physics, devilishly tricky redacted, and bright colorful visuals. Redacted is one of the most original and fun-filled games on the redacted. 
I'm getting a package with a a creature in it, maybe? It's hard to say. <laughs> with a redacted, redacted, redacted. Um, okay. There's physics. It's colorful. It's it's one of the most fun games by its own. It's always such a strange accolade to give yourself uh, on platform of uh, of designation. But the the way that they talk about the platform being singular, I'm also gravitating towards this being something of a console exclusive. Is this? I'm thinking. Okay, my first guess is this D Blob Man one or two. This is not de blob one or two. Okay. Give me some uh give me some accolades or metadata or something. All right. Uh I don't know how helpful this will be, but it has a meta score of ninety-three. Whoa. Based on fourteen critic reviews and a user score of seven point four. Okay. Critics love it. So a pretty strong divide between critics and the users and I think think there's a reason for it but maybe not the reason you'd initially expect i'll get more into that later Uh, the next place my brain starts to go is we're talking like games i feel like have unless they're an indie game specifically which this might be i feel like games don't have moved away from describing themselves as fun colorful and even necessarily speaking about physics as a as if it were a breakthrough concept in and of itself (laughs) so that puts me in kind of early 3d era and i'm going to ask if playing a am i playing a donkey kong game 64 uh it is it is not in the donkey kong series i feel like they've that ticked so many boxes there were they feet where that a Nintendo setup to a game would be a package arrives. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's true. Walk me through the uh, description one more time. A mysterious package has arrived, and the redacted inside has only one redacted. Redacted. Help get the redacted to redacted, the adorable redacted in this highly innovative and addictive redactive redacted game, combining outstanding physics. Devilishly tricky redacted and bright, colorful visuals, Redacted is one of the most original and fun-filled games on the Redacted. I have got, I think I've zeroed in on my third guess, but I would love to get some other, like it, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like it might be a Super Nintendo era game here. That's, that's where my mind is, but I, (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if you could tell me a year uh, or give me uh, something, but I'm worried about going too early. How about I'll read you a 10 review, and the lowest yes. that I have for this is a 5 from users okay. as well. Well, that fu- there so must be plenty of 5s if it's just a 7 as an average. Yeah, it doesn't look like there's that many reviews in total. Actually, it looks like there's 53 positive reviews, 21 mid reviews, and 10 negative reviews, but the negative ones, I guess, didn't have anything to say about it. Maybe they just put in numbers. So, uh, yeah, of the reviews that have actually written anything, the lowest I can find is a five. But, anyways, a 10 says, This is one of my personal favorites. It's one of the few games that gets extremely tough, uh, but you don't feel cheated or like the mechanics are working against you. It is some. Amazing puzzles, and the way this 
Redacted Game is done, is very unique, fun, and addicting in a way that is just as difficult for an adult as it is for children. The Redacted gets... uh, I don't want to read the rest of that. (laughs) It's a little too specific. And the, uh, the lowest review, a five, says, this costs money. It seems like it should be free, redacted, uh, by now, but it still isn't. Don't waste your money on this fairly basic redacted game. I might be way off in another universe, but there's only one thing to do, which is to take a chance. My mind has, by nature of it, I'm focusing in on Nintendo. I'm focusing in on maybe Nintendo franchises that would be just as associated with children as they would be adults. And I'm thinking about a Nintendo game where something mysteriously arrives in a colorful game with some... I think I know where you're going with this. (laughs) And based on that phrase, I'm going to guess that I'm not correct, but I am going to say, are we playing Yoshi's Island? Let's find out. I'll read the unredacted summary Mm. that says, a mysterious package has arrived and the creature inside has only one request. Candy. Help get the candy to Omnom, the adorable monster, in this highly innovative (sighs) and addictive puzzle game, combining outstanding physics, devilishly tricky levels, and bright, colorful visuals. Cut the Rope (laughs) is one of the most original and fun-filled games on the App Store. The App Store! (laughs) Oh, no! (laughs) And I played Omnom! Oh, I mean, I played Cut the Rope, rather. Uh, my God. Yeah, it's it's perfect. It does meet all those requirements. <laughs> and it's good for Tricky kids one, and though. adults alike. I agree uh, with that uh, that reviewer. Yeah, you know what? I should have... Uh, I should have gone away from platformers or, or, or Yoshi when puzzles were specifically called out because uh, I, I don't... Th- I feel like it's only phone games that describe themselves as being addictive also. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's true. Yeah, isn't it great how addictive it is? How you just like lose all your hours <laughs> of the day to this thing? Man, cut the rope. Oh, dude, you... Oh, you shouldn't open up the can of worms that is the app store. I can come for you with this. <laughs> I'm sure you can. I'll brush up on my fruit ninja over the next week. I'm going to go frantically look up, uh, see what I can stump you with. I actually, that gives me an idea for one, and I won't tell you what platform it's on, but I, I will say it is, uh, I, I think I've got one. If the, if the description pans out to be well obfuscated. Okay. Sounds good. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone, and we'll catch you again next week. Bye.